0: Gentlemen, and welcome to the fourth episode of the PO Forecast Extra. Well, Pompey is still top of the table, twenty-eight points in the first twelve games, and still unbeaten with eight wins and four draws. The sun is shining on the Sunday afternoon, October, after a two-one win against Port Vale. And instead of enjoying the weather outside, we're going to bring you some in-depth ports of chat instead, which I'm which I'm sure you'll love and probably will, will enjoy on the start of your commute on Monday morning. So. Let's be introduced to my guests. We've got first guest, Mr. Joff Taylor. How's it going?
1: Yeah, I'm doing all right, thanks. Got down to Fratton Park for the first time this season, which is great. Thoroughly enjoyed the 2-0 win. Thought that my presence there would be a bad omen and we'd start to lose, but thankfully
0: Colby Bishop did the job and we're still unbeaten. Yeah, I thought that on Tuesday against Wickham, where the first home game in ages, because I missed... Loads previous of work that we would just not get a result, and then it would be my fault, and everybody near me in the back of the front end will think it was my fault, but it wasn't. Somehow we got that last minute winner in that game, and then in the end we got to a two comfortable two nil win against Port Vale, which is always nice. But also at the game, my other co-host Mr. Jack Hancock. How's it going?
2: Yeah, good mate. I'm still uh, still thinking of that loaded fries at, uh, at the brewery yesterday. Unbelievable bit of scrum. Pulled pork, crispy skin fries. Some rabbit food. It was honestly delicious, and I'm still thinking about it now.
0: Yeah, Natty's is, is something to look out for if you if you want a different bit of food before the game. Right this to the brewery where we usually go. Jack, when are you when are you off to Liverpool then? When are you off to the land of the Scousers for to, to sit black tie and chat to a load of other people? I
2: will be going to the uh, the Scouse capital of the world on the 16th of November, leaving early in the morning on the uh, on the Choo Choo train up up north to. Uh, to go and hopefully win or at the very least meet some famous people and get lots of photos um yeah very exciting so about five weeks by i think five if my maths I can't do maths
0: but about that jack does a lot of analysis stuff on his twitter and also works for our football clubs as well and he's been put forward for the football content awards with other good young content creators i think hitc sevens is on there one of my personal favorites so if you want a, a look at a decent decent bloke goes in in depth in some football chat Look for him, but also Pompey-related stuff. Look for Hancock Analysis on Twitter. I think the voting's still open, isn't it, for the time being? Uh, Possibly. If not, just wish me the best. (laughs) Sweet. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll move on from that then. So in today's episode, we're going to look back over September and the beginning of October. The good, the bad, and we're going to try and analyse objectively as best we can, because obviously, being top of the league, still unbeaten, loads of people think we're going to get promoted. Or if you're completely cynical, we people think we're going to crash and burn and finish seventh again. So we're going to try and look at some different points of discussion. First, we'll be going over set pieces, Pompey defending and scoring from corners and free kicks. We'll be looking at what I've called bounce back ability, effectively how Pompey are able to go behind a goal and then immediately win two one or three one or whatever. It's definitely been a trend this season and. Not a trend that we've been used to as supporters under previous managerial regimes. And then we'll be looking in depth on if Pompey are an actual promotion candidate, the strengths that this team has, the weaknesses that they may have, and then boil it down and see if this start is either just a blip or the start of a memorable season. We'll have a look into that. And then at the end, we'll do a little player profile on Josh Martin because he's been on trial with the Blues for... Quite a while now. I think Andy Moon reported that a few weeks ago. He's a left winger, so it's another point of discussion leading up to January because that really is probably the position where we got the least depth in, with Anthony Scully injured and Abu Kamara playing there. You'd have to move Jack Sparks over and that type of thing. So that little discussion at the end, that little prayer profile, will round off this episode of the Extra Right Set Pieces. So from having a look at Wise Scout, Pompey have got the mo- scored the most goals from corners or the second phases of corners in the league with six. That is ahead, for example, of set-piece warriors, Stevenage and Wickham, who are, who are joint second and third with four each. Probably have also scored three goals from penalties as well. Obviously, they're the easiest chances in terms of expected goals and quality of chances, but you still have to take them anyway. So I'm opening the floor. Let's look at attacking corners first, since that's that's the stuff that I just pointed out, Joff. How are Pompey scoring those goals? Because for a while, they had a decent run of it under Daddy Cowley as well. There was like a ridiculous run where Pompey had only scored from set pieces and couldn't score from open play. But it seems that this trend from scoring from set pieces is continuing and it's definitely helping with Pompey's point tally at the moment. How are they so good at it? Is it delivery? Is it positioning? What is it? Yeah, I'm sure Jack can
1: go into more depth in terms of set play routines and positioning and stuff like that but purely looking at the numbers we do have the highest expected goals from set plays in the division Uh, that's 7.26 according to uh, Opta Analysts Online which is a great free resource but the thing I've noticed by kind of watching stuff in the eye test is the quality of delivery Jack Sparks unbelievable at whipping a ball into the box his yeah expected assists uh, is the highest for Portsmouth this season Joe Rafferty as well on from his right foot. And as you know, Pack can whip in a good ball. And I think in terms of just watching it, the quality of deliveries has been better generally. And it's one of those things where you're at a game and someone around stood around you always like, please beat the first man. And, you know, Josh Karoma whips in a corner. First man heads it away. Brilliant. But our deliveries have been better this season. And, you know, the expected goals from that has shown not just from corners as well, but for, you know, free kicks in deep positions and wide positions that, you know, we have created chances from there. In terms of expected goals and as well as shots as well. We've got sixty four shots from set pieces, which is twelve more than Steven Hitch here on fifty two in seconds. So we've obviously got a good thing going on with Joe Podomo, the set piece coach, but I'm gonna open up to Jack as you definitely know more than I on this.
2: I'm not a set piece expert by any means, but I took some time Kind of going through the data on optor list. and also I went through last kind of last month of set pieces. I did all of the opposition corners and most of ours. And in terms of setup, there's been a pretty even spread of near and far post deliveries, weighted towards near post. And the way we like to set up is almost like let's call it a love train, and you'll have a, a group of four or five Pomper players bunched up with one less attacking player, the uh, kind of opposition player normally. So, for example, it'd be a four way three. And what we like to do is we'll have, let's say, a 4v3 stack at the back post. We'll have one come free and then come over to the near post. And then in an ideal world, they knock back across for uh, someone at the far post. So if you look at our goal, Wigan Paul's goal, shouldn't call a Shocknessy, but you know it's not a grudges. against Wigan, Bishop ran free and it was poor marking, but it was also by design. He ran free, nodded back across to Shocknessy, who... We should have scored, but, you know, a goal's a goal, isn't it? And, yeah, there's not many short or edge-of-the-box deliveries. And in terms of the data, we are averaging an XG per set-piece shot of 0.11. And essentially, that means we should be scoring 1 in 10, which kind of lines up because we've had 64 set-piece shots, according to list and 7 goals. So it's kind of along the, along the same lines. The XG is pretty similar. So it's not like we get lucky. This is by design. We're very good at set pieces. Defensively, we aren't as good, but I'll, I'll let someone else touch on that first um, before I, I keep rambling on.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll stay on attacking corners and free kicks for now because it's good that the data highlights this. It's not just, you know, an anomaly. They're, they're roughly on trend. And you mentioned the, the, set, the setup from corners, Jack. Is the idea of it basically to spread the opposition defensive unit away from each other and try and get men free in the box just to have a free shot. I think, for example, Shotnessy's header against Wickham, where he was basically on his own. I know that the keeper didn't cover himself in glory with claiming the ball, but he had so much time there already. Yeah, and for, <clears throat> for me,
2: the best football teams are they're full of really physical technicians, and that's what Pompey are. And if you look at players that have got aerial threat and, and physical presence, you look at Regan Paul, Marlon Pack, Colby Bishop, Connor Shotnessy, Connor Ogilvy, I'm probably missing some, but you get the point. Christian Sadie to an extent, although maybe not the aerial threat. And, and what that means is you can get really physical and really tight and, and have that big stat and then disperse because people aren't really sure who to mark. And although you may be given the man to mark, it's very easy to slip away in the chaos. And yeah, just by having that mixture of intelligence and, and
0: physicality, you can cause real chaos and, and then you get openings and that's where you get goals. Yeah, absolutely. And it's good attacking movement as well, even by the defenders to be able to slip away from the defenders, because the way the opposition teams are set up, it's been a little bit of everything. I've seen in some games, there was a, there's definitely been some man marking with two people staying on Bishop, for example. Sometimes there's always the same man picking up Regan Poole or Conor Schoethlis, for example, but sometimes it's zonal as well. So it's good that Pompey have been able to think of a scheme to deal with both of those things. And Geoff, you mentioned earlier about the delivery. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I looked at what earlier with Sparks with four assists in the league. Rafferty with three assists in the league getting a lot of joy from deliveries in general and Paddy Lane's had some decent corners as well because I think he's taken a few from memory why is that different this season compared to last season with Clark Robertson taking a corner it, no offence to him but it's a centre-half taking a corner. Is it simply just better technically or, or or is it something else there?
1: Yeah I'd say I think Jack Sparks is one of those people that almost I don't know, I'm not going to fully say he's as good as David Beckham in terms of the whip that he gets on the ball, but the way he can, yeah, curl his foot round the ball to get, you know, high amount of amount of curve and velocity on the ball, that means that you know, as Portsmouth players, they'll be knowing where this ball is going. So if it's going back post between the penalty spot and the six yard box, someone's going to be there. And because it's so so fast and it's got so much whip on it, it's really really hard to defend. I genuinely just think it's the quality of delivery. You know, Clark Robertson did whip in. Occasionally nice crosses from corners, but that and you know what Jack mentioned that love train thing we saw it with England in the 2018 World Cup where we were massively successful from it. And you know, that team got branded set piece merchants or whatever and got to the semi because of the luck of the draw and whatever. But you know, set pieces are a valid way of scoring goals, you know, a goal's a goal at the end of the day, and so we've got those better technicians whipping in the balls, both left foot and right foot, which is super important and I don't know, I don't have the data on it, and can't quite remember from the eye test, but Jack, do you know the kind of ratio of in-swingers and out-swingers that we have?
2: From what I remember, most were in-swingers, but what I wanted to touch on, and you said it about using set-pieces, set-pieces are such an underappreciated side of the game, and I know it's a bit stereotypical, but you know, English football, you know, four four two direct play, set-pieces, you'd think there'd be a bit more love given to it, but there seemed not to be. I remember, I think it was Tottenham's old set-piece coach who said, if you want like a, a 10, 20 goal a season striker, you call me because he, he's fought up all these you know, thousands of set-piece routines. And Brentford are huge in it as well. If you can get X amount of goals through set-pieces extra as opposed to everyone else a, a season, that's loads, of more, that's loads of more points. And yeah, I, I I don't quite have the data on, delivery, on the type of delivery, but most of it is, I believe, in swinging and a kind of even split between near and far post.
1: As a defender at Sunday League level, I hate defending in-swinging corners. Much prefer an outswinger, But in-swingers, for me, harder to defend, potentially harder to attack. But if you know where they're going and, you know, you've got the kind of mental edge on that, then it puts it at parity with an average outswinger where it's just clipped into the box. So, yeah, as you said, set-pieces are vastly underrated. And, you know, who cares if we win the league or go up with a bunch of set-piece goals, goals of
0: goal. Yeah, in terms of style of play, it's, I think most supporters will be happy with it. It's only when, for example, a style of play is used that doesn't fit with the players you have. People could argue that with Kenny Jackett's teams. That's why loads of people got absolutely sick of those sides, even though they were good at set-pieces as well from memory. Even John
2: Massino, sorry, even even John Massino last year, you know, he came in, he wanted to play a pretty similar style to what we're playing now, but, the you know the players just didn't fit it. and to me it's a bit of a miracle we went so many games unbeaten and yes there were loads of draws and yes it was very turgid but that squad did not suit this style of play at all and yeah you can have all the tactics and all that that you want in the world if you have the players to execute it there's no point you know the players are the tactics at the end of the
0: day yeah absolutely and i think i do like job senior's style of football as a side point because it's Possession-based against a de- decent size, they can counter-attack very well, they could be direct, they can create high-quality chances. It's not completely tippy-tappy, and it's not too direct either. Breaking down set-piece goals compared to the goals so far, Pompey scored 21 in total Going to Y-Scout, and six of them are from corners. I don't think... did we have one goal from a indirect free-kick, I think?
1: Yeah, we've got... I'm on an Opta Analyst here, and it's seven total set-piece goals, so I'd assume
0: that's the case. Right, so literally a third literally a third of our goals from set pieces and if we continue that trend around a third from set pieces that's so many extra goals we're scoring and it's not as if Pompey are playing away from the quality of chances they're creating as well we'll go into that in a little bit more detail from the promotion candidate section but looking at it here they scored 21 goals and their xg or quality of chances as a whole is 23.55 according to Wisecout which is fairly decent. They're roughly around where they are in terms of offensive output, and they've been a very good attacking side. So that gives a lot of hope at this unbeaten run. Even if it's even if there's some losses here and there, that it continues somewhat defensively from set pieces. I know Pompey has conceded one goal from a corner, and that was Josh Schoen against Wickham. How are Pompey able to defend set pieces in this way? Or and because they've got a reasonable record anyway. I think they've only conceded eight goals all season, and one being from a corners exceptional this right considering some of the teams we played wickham stevenage teams with high threats from set pieces so either of you want to jump in on how pompey defend corners
2: so I, I i wasn't too focused on the setup of it to be honest because i was kind of rushing around getting notes what i could but in terms of the deliveries the majority of them almost double the second most go to the near post and i think we're getting a bit fortunate with defending set pieces so the quality of so xg against per set piece shot for the opposition is actually 0.02 higher than our xg per set piece shot that's opt around which is slightly concerning because we've only conceded once with a set piece and i think there's been some telltale signs i'll get onto in a minute that indicate Maybe we're getting a bit lucky. So for me, the biggest issue is we're really slow to react at times to front uh, back-to-front-post runners, so someone at the back post coming in to the front post and knocking it back across, similar to what we're good at, actually. Obviously, the Josh Gowen goal was highlighted that, and you had uh, the, the pacey Martin Keogh, um, I think it was. No, Richard Keogh, different, different centre-backer. He ran to the front post, completely unmarked, flicked it back across, and a uh, goal result from it. And also, in the Peterborough home game, the 3-1, there was an incident where the front post was almost completely empty and then someone ran right from the back and he uh, he, he nipped in. So I think we'll see a few more goals conceived from set-piece or you know, maybe we're just getting really lucky. But the, uh, the opposition quality of chance is statistically better than ours, which is slightly worrying.
0: Why are those players getting left on their own then? Is it because of the way they're setting up zonally and someone running away from a zone and coming back in? Or is it just man-marking gone wrong? What is it?
2: I'm not sure, to be honest. I think possibly it's a mental thing because our structure seems to be okay. But there's just moments where people just slip away to the front post completely unmarked. i just saying that maybe it is, a, it is a structure thing because it, it's not like, you know, it's an equals coverage and someone just slips away. It seems to be we leave the near post empty and we assume they're going to go to the far post, which maybe isn't correct. Yeah, I think maybe it is a structural thing, but also we can be slow to react at times in in second-ball situations.
0: Yeah, because that chance from Josh Scowen that he scored in the Wickham game, that was a relatively high chance. I think the XG was 0.25 roughly on Y scout, so it was a very reasonable chance, and he was sort of on his own, got in front of the defender and just got his foot on it, directed it across. I don't think Norris had much of a chance there. So it is definitely something that I think needs to be ironed out, because we'll look at the defensive data a little bit more later on. And that appears to be our weakness that this side might have. But Geoff, to round up the set piece stuff, can Pompey continue to score all these goals from set pieces, or do you think it's blip? If
1: we continue to create the quality of chance from set piece, then absolutely. Because so on a yeah opta analysts, we've got set piece of expected goals of seven point two six, and we've scored seven set piece goals. So slightly underperforming ever so slightly, but it's you know it's with the expected goals model. And if we can create the quality of chances, yeah, we might have patches where we score more, might have patches where we score less, just, you know, due to poor finishing or, you know, keep us saving really well. But if we continue to create that quality of chance, then I do
0: not see why not. Okay, so that was one of the first trends that came up between this episode and the last one. And another one was bounce back ability. That's definitely not a word, but that's the phrase that we're coining anyway, because of all the times that Pompey have conceded first. And then gone back to score and win by ever so many. There was obviously Peterborough at home, Wicked at home, Wicked away, Lincoln at home as well. All conceding the first goal, but then coming back again. That trend of slow starts has started again, and that was also the case at Port Vale with a first half that was extremely ropey. But I'm going pa- to I'm going to pass it to one of you first because I I've did a little bit of diving into the pressing stats and uh, which might explain why that bounce back ability is. But Jack, first of all, coming to you, how are Pompey able to get back into games when conceding?
2: I think, and I, I won't delve too much into the analytical side of things here, which maybe isn't fitting for this podcast. But um, I think it's a lot of it is a mental thing, and when you play without the fear of the manager's going to bollock you for making a mistake, or or you know you've got the crowd on your back, you just you can play so much more freedom. And I've never seen a side so unbothered by conceding and and I don't mean that in like a oh they just they're, they don't care they're too lazy it just doesn't phase them I mean especially in the Lincoln game uh, uh, you know we concede early the crowd I, I didn't think I heard a single boo it was immediately chanting players were up for it and then I think it was Regan Paul or Paddy scored immediately after basically uh, it's Paddy and that for me just kind of highlights the fearlessness and bravery and, and just happiness that the squad has and we saw in the um in the pre-season videos how supportive John Monsignor seems as a coach and and that environment is so crucial look at Klopp's Liverpool mentality monsters and that's kind of what I liken us to from the mental side of things
1: yeah just to back that up with a bit of data I took from Wise Scout our expected goals for our game state so game state either being winning drawing or losing i also took it for first half and second half because i thought that could also be a contributing factor kicking off with kind of first half and second half there's not much difference in it whatsoever 0.7 uh, average expected goals in first half and 0.93 so barely anything in that and you know a different xg model will probably have that the other way around but the really interesting stuff lies in the game state so when So I've normalized this kind of per 90 minutes. So for every 90 minutes that we are winning games, our expected goals is 1.47. Drawing games, again, kind of using the same standardization, is 1.36. And then when we are losing games, we are hitting 2.95 expected goals, which, you know, correlation isn't causation, but for me... There's something that happens in this team when we go one down or two nil down. It's a cliche, but players get that fire ignited in their bellies or they just think, Ah oh, crap, we've got to we've got to start playing here um, and play fearlessly. And so that is really, really telling. And, you know, it's such a stark difference, you know, over double the amount of expected goals when we're losing from either winning or drawing, which is quite frankly insane. And. I think it's testament to Massino and the way he can change tactics mid-game. I think that's a really underrated thing. We kind of saw it yesterday against Port Vale where a couple of tweaks and we came out second half flying. Yeah, we were drawing there, but we came out of that, came out of the pitch second half and we yeah looked a different team. You know, Stevenson looks more confident on the ball, things like that. So yeah, maybe maybe it is a mental thing. Maybe it's just a case of, why can't we just start playing like that from the off, which, you know, could be um, counteractive, you know, pinging the ball around a bit more with more intent. Can you leave, can leave you a bit more open to conceding goals in transition, but we are just better. And I, yeah, I agree with Jack in terms of it probably is a mental thing.
0: Yeah, it is able to change the game an awful lot with some of the decisions as well as the players being able to get back into it, I think. Like for example, against Wickham, we were struggling for ages 1-0 down, and then he brings Christian Sadie on to play at Cam, and the, game, the entire game changes with that substitution. The passing was more crisp and more more direct and more forward, and the play was more aggressive. What were some of those tweaks in the Port Vale game, Geoff? And are they, Because you mentioned them earlier, and are they examples that have appeared in other games as well? So for me,
1: from, from what I saw in the Port Vale game, and I think, Jack, you could probably add to this as well, but Stevenson just looked like someone had shouted at him, had gone mad in the changing room at half time and been like, look up and be confident at playing that ball, either through the lines or release it a second quicker. And, you know, it's Marlon Pack that you know, it's hard boots to fill in that position. Marlon Pack's been brilliant for us this season. But Stevenson came in, did a fine job in the first half, was just maybe a bit pedestrian, passing it backwards when there was pa were passes forwards, but he really came, yeah, really came into his own in that second half. And from where I was sat low down in the front end, I couldn't really tell what was going on in terms of shape because you don't get kind of much of a depth of the field from that low down. But we looked like we were just way more fired up, and you know Stevenson being the key for that and filling Marlon Pack's boots as much as he could.
2: Yeah, I mean I've not got loads to add in terms of tweaks. So I've not had a chance to look at the game back from. But in terms of feel, yeah, I, you know I, I thought Stevenson was solid in the first half, if not. A... Thought it was hiding from the ball, but he he didn't really choose the brave option very often, which is fine when you've got a Regan Paul behind you or a, you know a Conor Shockley a Regan Paul pairing who are really good at breaking the lines, really good at stepping out and, and inviting pressure. But whereas you got you know no no disrespect to Sean Raggett who if you get solid passes out of Sean Raggett that's fine. I just don't want him to misplace the ball. Whereas yeah, in the second half he, he was way braver. Yeah, he, he chose the more ambitious options more. I also thought at times, not loads, but at times, you saw him drop into the uh, into the back three a bit more, or into the in possession back three. Wherever there's, you know, as opposed to in the first half, where I don't think there was any moments where he dropped in to the uh, into the between the centre backs. He was very stationary in the pivot and on the opposite side of play quite a lot of the time. But yeah, I, I I didn't notice any a huge tweak, but in terms of on the broader fit scale. It feels like John cena has got a really good feel for the game, and he can notice when the tempo needs to increase or decrease, um, and also really good at adapting to opposition shape and, and changes, which is so so refreshing. So, <laughs> a manager who's very adaptable and very proactive, rather than you know being slow to react and sluggish with substitutions.
0: Yeah, we've seen in previous seasons teams that are successful in this league and get promoted can change a game on a sixpence with a substitution or a slight tweak. We saw that with Plymouth Argyle in so many games, especially at Fratton Park, where they looked dead and buried, but then they brought Narlene on and made a couple of little tweaks, and then they got back into the game there. One thing that I wanted to look at was pressing, because I did some analysis on passes allowed per defensive action and looked at the differences between where we concede and afterwards. So in the Lincoln at home... We're all way to 12. Remember, PPDA is lower number higher the press, so it's a bit different. Lincoln, we're down to 12, roughly, concede the goal. Then it goes up to 6.6 and then 5.2, and that's separated in quarters of an hour in a game. Wigan away, start off really well with 3.4 of pressing, so on top of them, then dropped all the way down to 14.2, where we conceded, and then all the way up to 7.3 again. Wickham at home around 6.4 when they conceded and then there was a lot of obviously time wasting a lot of fouls in that game and then there was a steady increase in the press throughout the second half and after the first goal it got up to about 3.4 according to Scout, and then leveled off a bit due to the time wasting and the stoppages and then Peterborough at home were incredibly under under the cash. Peterborough had a lot of the possession around when they conceded, and Pompey were dropping off an awful lot, so it was that was around twenty nine when we conceded that goal where the winger essentially hit it low and hard into the corner and then throughout the period where we con- where we scored both those goals, that rose all the way to eleven point five and then it got to around eight when we scored the third so Jackson, since you've got your hand up, I assume you've got an answer for this a Pompey utilising the press effectively, especially when they're conceded first. is it? It's pressing in periods, isn't it? Because in some games, the Blues have had a lot of draw of possession, so they haven't had to press as much.
2: So I've not analysed the PPDA. I mean, I've got the numbers in front of me. I was kind of thinking about why we press. And I think the obvious answer is, well, you press to score goals. But I don't really think it's the case in this I've seen. So we got, in terms of high turnovers, this is Opta Analyst, we've got 87 high turnovers this season twelve ending shots and zero ending goals. And I Just on my notes check, got, Jack,
0: with high yeah. turnovers, what does that mean?
2: That is when you turn the ball over. I'll get you a definition here, Freddie. <clears throat> from Optor Analyst a high turnover is the number of sequences that start an open play and begin forty meters or less from the opposition's goal. So when you turn over the ball forty meters from the opposition's goal essentially. So that's yeah, eighty seven total, twelve ending a shot, zero ending in a goal. And when I did my notes for this podcast originally I put that down as a weakness I had attacking from high turnovers and then when we sat here I was kind of thinking well maybe we're not trying to you know score goals off of of the press and maybe it's more to disrupt the opposition the opposition's build-up because we're really good at winning second balls off of our back line and if you can force teams to go long you know a lot of teams play short nowadays you can then have players like Regan Paul, Marlon Pack, Connor Shocknessy, uh, Connor Ogilvie then winning the second balls and then as is our ethos, you retain possession of the ball, you get back possession of the ball, you control the game, and then you make chances. So I, I think our press is more intelligent than intense. It is intense, but I think it's the intelligence that's the, yeah, the main
0: thing and possibly the intention behind it. Yeah, I think that's a massive thing, and a big part of it is disrupting the opposition because you have so many teams of, even at varying skill sets in League One, where they may have that one style of play that they want, to play throughout the entire game. They got it in their head. Like Leighton Orient away, for example, where where he pretty much blew them out of the water 4-0. They wanted to have possession in the midfield and they wanted to play nicely. But as soon as Pompey pressed and Leighton Orient either turned the ball over or they were forced to go pick out a risky pass to give away possession, then they were completely out of it and Pompey controlled the game. And instead of previously with the Blues, where they've pressed to create chances... It's almost seemed like that tweak where they're pressing to disrupt the opposition, force an error, and then use the quality in the midfield we have to build the ball out and then create high-quality chances from there. And I think we've seen that in many of the games so far. Yeah, I think that's
1: testament to kind of our team mentality and how intelligent our press is, as we've mentioned before. To put it in kind of a Premier League comparison, it's more kind of Man City where where they will press at points. Uh, But that's to win ball back and then control the game rather than, say, a Liverpool who win the ball back furiously and intensely, and then look to try and score straight off of that. And yeah, our kind of total PDA, this is from Opta analyst again, is twelve point seven, so that is sixth, sixth highest in the league in terms of Bolton at top with nine point eight, so they're the most kind of intense presses, and right at the bottom we've got Lincoln City on eighteen point seven, so you know we are at the top, but. It's not, you know, how you press. It's how intelligently you press. And I think, yeah, we're doing that. We're doing it pretty well. It doesn't, you know, we haven't. It hasn't led to a goal
0: yet, but that's not our style. And we are scoring from other ways, so I'm fine with it. So yeah, we've gone over how Pompey deal in the press and and their set pieces and how they bounce back in games. But the big question on the fans' lips, guys, is: Are Pompey a promotion candidate or not? Because even though we're unbeaten, twenty eight points in the league a lot going for us, a lot of good things about this side. It's only 12 games in and there's a long way to go before we can start thinking about promotion parties and stuff. That It's not there yet and myself included I don't want to pin my hopes already onto this side 12 games in because it's. I still think it's way too early. What do you guys think of that in general before we promotion. dive into the details?
2: Promotion is the word on the, on the fans sweet, sweet lips. And I I, I, <laughs> I feel like I've I've spoken on a few podcasts recently. I spoke to Gab Sutton, I spoke to you guys and, and I spoke to Tom as well, privately from Fauna and Lower. it. To so every single one I've said, when you take into account not only the quality of the coaching staff and squad and the fan base and the uh, the tactical ideology, um, but also the relative weakness of the division in comparison to kind of more recent years, I think. If we're at not very minimum comfortable in the playoffs, I will be shocked. And that's not an arrogance thing because I feel like they're a really good team in this division. Oxford and Bolton could easily leapfrog us as could you know, we could, you know, shoot ourselves in the arse and, and fall down. Um, and I said going into season, if we're comfortably in the playoffs by Christmas, I'll be very happy. So if we were to regress a bit, I feel like it would be dunno, maybe wrong of me to to get too perturbed. But in short, yes, I think this squad has all of the the things you need to win promotion. Maybe not in a swashbuckling, full-on attacking football way like, like Ipswich, for example, but more of a controlled uh, strangulation of teams rather than blunt force trauma.
1: Yeah, to add to that, I played 12, 28 points, a six-point lead over third already. Um, that would be five points if Bolton win their game in hand and take them up to 23 points. But the point remains, we've already opened up a lead over the playoff positions, which is, yeah, which is great. Looking kind of more deeply into it. In terms of open play XG, we are third in the league for that. Uh, Peterborough top, Bolton, and then it's us and then Blackpool ever so slightly behind us. And we are top for set play expected goals. So we are, yeah, we are doing the right things. Defensively, we are conceding some chances. From set pieces, and I do think, as Jack said earlier, we will regress to the mean at some point. You know, it might be for a string of games, it might just be one off games, and you know, those goals might not matter, they might be a goal in a three in a three one victory, who knows? But we are doing the right things, and as I said, the, the playing staff, the coaching staff seem to have it together. And what I think is a really important thing is kind of the togetherness of the group and how, barring suspension and injury how our um, kind of cohesion in terms of pairings, in terms of centre-backs and then Bishop up top with, if we can get a consistent number 10, amazing, but that kind of, if you want to say is a back three of Norris, Paul and Shopnessy. It's it's consistent and so that that will go a huge way into determining whether we get promotion or not but everything everything's good at the moment. I'm enjoying it.
0: No, I'm enjoying it as well and it's definitely a cohesive and settled team. I think that's the main point that you mentioned. There's a lot of partnerships across this team that work together. All the players seem to know what they're doing. There's very rarely, rarely periods in the game where they look completely lost as to what to do with or without the ball because that was a big thing under Danny Cowley and all the swapping of formations and the tactics. It, it, the players got a bit muddled, I I thought. And that was also the case near the end of last season when Misenio came in. I haven't seen that much... Issue this season. And partnerships is a big one. shotlessy pool brilliant centre-half pairing. Pack and Morel, before he got injured, seemed to be very solid and moving away from the issues that they were having, where they were a bit too deep and a bit too safe sometimes. And that helped with bringing one of the midfielders further forward in the 10. Got some nice link-up between the wingers and the fullbacks. Sometimes Bishop gets a bit isolated sometimes. I think that's one of the major weaknesses, especially when Pompey aren't ticking like in first half against Wickham, first half against Port Vale. I think that's one of the main things to come up. but one of the biggest strengths of this side, which I'm going to go into is their ability to create chances and then take them. They're taking their chances whenever they cre- whenever they create them. I've looked at expected goals per shot, which is effectively the quality of each shot that Pompey have, and their second. In the entire league, according to Y Scout on XG per shot with 0.152, and that is only Derby County ahead of us. And you can see that just from watching the games. I mean, in the portfolio game, Bishop had his two chances from the penalty and beforehand, took both of them against Wickham. Bishop got his first chance from the throw in that took out a load of defenders. Sparks had a load of space, uh, Kamara, excuse me, had a lot of, load of space, tapped it across to Bishop, and it was 1 all. The side of creating chances, which is a big thing, and we see that from the numbers, and they're and they're clinical and they're taking them. what is the difference between this season, where they were doing that, and last season, when you could argue they weren't? Aside from Bishop on his own,
1: just to kind of back that up with numbers, I compared the expected goal on target, so that's after you've taken a shot and where it's going into the goal, and takes into account kind of positions of defenders, speed of the shot, where the goalkeeper is. And so our our expected goals I have down here. Of course, different different sources will vary. I've got this from FotMob, which is another great free resource. Twenty-one point five five. We scored twenty-one, so slightly under. But our expected goal on target is nineteen point nine two. So ever so slightly underperforming. But we are mostly, you know, taking those chances. That's ninety-two percent. That's some quick maths there, if that's correct. But you know, we're taking those chances and. Bishop is an elite level forward. I think Jackie tweeted yesterday about how yeah, how good he is at that level. And I think, you know, we haven't had loads of goal scoring contributions from our kind of wingers, inside forwards, whether you want to call them or eights and stuff, but our centre backs have really, really stepped up in terms of, you know, Regan Paul scoring a couple already. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier about set pieces, where we are creating chances from set pieces. And I really rate the fact that we can score goals from open play, from slow build up, from counter attacks, and you know from corners, from free kicks. We have had penalties as well, which is you know, you don't you know you're not going to get given a penalty if you're not in the box. So we are getting into the right areas as well. I think it's testament to how, I guess, varies our style is, but in a good way. And we can we can switch it up if we want to be direct. We can be direct, and if you know if we want to slow patient build up. Then we can, and you know, teams need that. It's it's pointless being able to only play one style because you will get found out at some point.
2: Just touched on Joff's point actually about the wingers and the eights maybe not providing as much going forward. I mean, if you look at um, GA, I'm not sure that was your exact point by the way, but I'm I'm paraphrasing. Um, maybe poorly. If you look at if you look at GA, maybe you know, I think Robertson's got two assists and he's our attacking midfielder. Whereas if on Opta Analyst they've got a Attacking contribution statistic, and that is non-penalty shots plus open play chances created, and it kind of ranks all your players in terms of who is contributing the most. And obviously, Bishop is first, but Robertson is second with three point three seven. Gavin White then follows with three point two. Kamara two point eight. So, and that's also backed up in further underlying data that I I tweeted out from my account last night. That might be well. This would be on Saturday night because it's going out on Monday, and. I think it's very easy to look at you know, Google and, say, Abu Kamara stats, and then you go to the statistics page and it says, you know, one goal, two, three assists, and you go, ah, it's not a very good productive winger. But if you actually look at the data, which is harder to find because it's not as publicly accessible, which is a shame, but that's the way football works, unfortunately. We're much more productive um, from those areas than the uh, more face-level data suggests.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those things where we at the start of the season, kind of did expect that our wingers, you know, saying, okay, we earmarked White and Scully to be cutting in scoring and White hasn't scored yet. That's absolutely fine because, yeah, he he creates chances. He hasn't registered an assist apparently yet, but from open play, according to analysts, him and Jack Sparks create the equal, you know, equal most amount of chances. And, you know, he is contributing. It is in a different way to we expect. But, you know, if we can add that to our game, and you've seen that with Paddy Lane recently, you know, popping up with goals, amazing. That's, you know, another another string to the bow, as they say. And if we can, you know, have lots of different ways of being able to score goals and play against teams and who defend in different styles, then, you know, that is a massive
0: asset. Yeah, and it addressed a major weakness that we had last season where the wingers... Definitely weren't productive. <laughs> Definitely weren't productive at all in terms of goals and assists, but also even deeper under the hood. And that isolated Bishop and also our attacking fielders as well. And whenever we go out to the wings, it would just, the play would die off. You'd have to play it round round the back and defend it, and the defenders could easily play against that. I think another strength in this side is the midfield. I think we've seen, we've had the quality there for quite a while with Pack and Morel even last season. With Larry in there, and but I think the difference this season is they're they're being more incisive, they're more balanced, they're not just anchoring the play, but then as soon as it goes to them, they slow down, they're able to bring up killer through passes and better linking with the full backs and the wingers. And I think that's a major thing. I believe looking at key passes per 90, Portsmouth of a sick for in the entire league with 3.51 per 90, and that's passes that lead to a chance and some of the other advanced passing data is also good. I think we've got the highest accurate progressive passes in the entire league, and that, and that varies depending on how close you are to the goal. So we're able to do proper forward passes, direct or on the floor, which create space for attackers and then subsequently create chances in the penalty area. And I think that's one of the major differences between this season and the last one. And Jack, how are the attacking players this season how are they getting all this joy? What's the difference in the midfield build up that's causing that?
2: I think and that's a hard question. I think it's a mixture of structural, instructional, also maybe just the the mental characteristics of the players. You know, they seem a lot more fearless and brave. I look at Paddy Lane, yes, he was here last season, but he was playing in a let's make no bones a poor side and he didn't have the confidence because he didn't play much under Scott Brown. And then you, you bring in players like Alex Robertson, Tino Andrin, Christian Sadie, who have a real point to prove and, you know, some have been not wronged by Portsmouth, but we let Sadie go when we had him on a trial. Alex Robertson, you know, he's a really young player come through at City and yeah, he'll want to prove himself and, and show, you know, he's got what it's about. Tino Andrin, a lot of um, I guess you could say unsuccessful loan spells because his injuries. So when you have a mixture of the chip on the shoulder, the quality, the the brave play, which is probably instructional. I mean, you look at John Messina's first ever game, he switched to a 4 3 he said, look, the eights get really high, really aggressive. And you saw, saw a completely different side to Joe Morrell. And yeah, I, th- I think it's just a mixture of all things. Really. I've given you a bit of a wishy-washy answer, but I don't think you can nail it down to a single attribute or uh, characteristic.
0: I think another strength that's a bit different that's also helped is the construction of play when popular on the ball. They're very comfortable in possession. And I think a lot of that is down to the, the solid centre half pairing of Shaw and Paul when they're playing, both of them can play the ball out. Both of them are comfortable of playing quickly as well, which is a positive. So it makes it's harder for the defence to set up in a shape and for them to be really relaxed and able to deal with Pompey going forward because it is measured build up play. It's not fast. It's not it, it, all the time. Jeff, how important is it that Pompey can play out from the back quickly? Because in the Port Vale game there wasn't as much of that. I, I didn't think I didn't think Raggett had a bad game at all. I thought he came in and was defensively solid, and we got the clean sheet to reassure that. But there was like moments in the game where he did dawdle on the ball a bit too much. He was better than last season. I thought actually playing the ball out. I thought he was reasonable. But there still were times where he almost had his foot on the ball, waiting for so- for the bit of movement that just wasn't there.
1: Yeah, I think in terms of that centre back combination of Shocklessy and Paul, you have two very very solid ball players. Shockness—he's previously played in midfield, and Regan Paul is, you know, fantastic footballer to watch. I going back to last season, I remember, I think, yeah, last game of the season, Wickham at home, and I was in the front end, kind of above the left half space. So I saw a lot of of Riley Towler and how he did kind of, you know, dawdle on the ball, and I took it about at half time and got powers for it because. I think it was Morel and Lowry in the midfield and they were showing for it and there was so much space and he'd never give it and hold on to it and then pump it long to whoever was playing at left midfield. And I was I was fuming because like play the quick pass into midfield. Obviously it's harder to see when you're on the pitch than you know in the stand and you you know, you can see more. But Shocknessy and Paul are people who do see those passes and have the ability to to execute it. And that's really, really helped us. And I think Missing pack and pool um on Saturday really kind of showed how much you know how much they contribute to that, and it's great that we have players in the final third who can also progress the ball well hold on to it, rotate it, recycle it, however you want to put it we yeah we've got good ball players everywhere, and that possession style system does suit us so compared to last year, you know, seeing, you know trying to implement that but the players massively contribute to that. So yeah, I think that combination of shopnessy and Paul is you know vital to this team. Again, Raggett's performance on Saturday it was, you know, really solid. There was one point in the first half where one of the forwards kind of chopped in onto their right foot and he was totally sold it. Gave me flashbacks to Jezmer and Raksaki ruining him in both games and I was you know, I think Norris made a good save or he just just put it wide, but Raggett overall was solid and did look like he had more confidence, especially in that second half as well, similar to Stevenson where, you know, Massinho must have said something like that. Just be confident, just play with it, express yourself, you know, just have a go. And yeah, I fully expect Paul to come straight back into the side, but, you know, an improved Sean Raggett is great. And, you know, he was unlucky not to get a couple of goals yesterday as well.
2: Yeah, I'll, um, as the, uh, the confess self confessed uh, build up, I'll build on some of your points. I'll add something as well. In terms of you talking about uh, not kind of dawdling on the ball almost and or sometimes playing too fast, t- tempo and timing is so vital in um, in build up because if you, if you don't have that and you know you play a pass too early or a pass is under hit, it can completely ruin the entire structure. But also, I think. And as someone who really represents that well, it's Will Norris. And Will Norris's tactical understanding of build-up is just immense. There was I was watching him take goal kicks, and what I do sometimes if if the opposition are man to man, he'll chuck the ball always underarm to the right centre back. He'll put the ball down and play it to him immediately because then you get a plus one. And you literally saw the clock, the, the cogs turning in his head where he'd read the entire opposition out of possession structure, it's a mouthful, um, and then decide you know whether to play it from himself or from one of the centre backs and also you know his weight of pass and his pass selection the pass quality is just a joke and i've i've not seen that from many keepers at this level um especially ones that aren't on from elite clubs and finally just on Towler yeah i i'm a am a Riley Towler fan but there are some things that are really hold him back in build up and for me the two main things are was body and mind and in terms of body his angles to receive are just all wrong. And there are times where he does it quite well, actually, which is the frustrating thing. Which is like, well, honey, you can do it. You can clearly do it. Um, and he'll often be really square on to the, uh, to the opposite, centre-back to receive. And then, you know, even if you're receiving your back foot there, you can't spin out and you can't step in, which is really frustrating. And there'll also be, in terms of the mind, he's not the bravest on the ball. And, and that's really frustrating because if you go through his clips, you can see there are times where he'll step out really bravely and, and play the smart pass but it's just wildly inconsistent. If Riley Tyler wants to break into this first team and, and really displace Connor Shocknessy, he has to improve in terms of the body and the mind because it, it's important to remember he's still really young. He's still so young and he probably overperformed the last season and this is maybe where he should be at because he maybe looked good as opposed to the other centre-backs and he was playing very well but yeah, I mean, he's still got a lot of time. He just needs to focus on those things for me.
0: Yeah, defensively, like we've mentioned in the numbers, they've played really well, but there are some question marks there. We're going to move on to the, the weaknesses of this side, or perhaps the concerns, depending on which way you want to put it. Defending in transition is a massive thing. I think I've looked back on Pompey's eight conceded goals just now, and a lot of them are counterattacks where there's a lot of space on both sides, on both wings where the opposition have got an overlap and the winger has so much time to be able to put the ball on his strong foot and have a very clear shot of goal or if it's or if one of the defenders has tried to step up and nobody's covered him. So there's a lot of space again on that side and they play the through ball and it's usually it's usually on the counter attack, which is a massive thing. And again we only considered one goal from corner so it's not really set pieces. It's usually where fast Fast teams are able to hit Pompey on the break and maybe win the ball back in pressing, and they're able to and they're able to cut us wide open. And Norris hasn't got a lot of chances, a chance of saving rather. Uh, Port Vale we saw that a few times. I thought Port Vale had a few very good chances in that game, especially in the first half, and they're unlucky not to score, to be honest. So Jack, defending in transition, why why are Pompey getting it wrong, and what can they do to fix it?
2: I think we, so kind of looping back to the beginning, I think it's a mixture of things. It's like a third personnel, a, a third structural, and a third mental. And I think on the mental side, looping it back to when we're talking about defending set pieces, I think at times we can be slow to react to second balls and kind of transitional moments. And this, it, Maybe it's a bit overstated because we are not been exposed in terms of goals too many times, but in terms of chances, absolutely. And I look at a team that can really threaten us. I look at Exeter. If you go back and look at the Exeter match, there's quite a few moments where, they don't press really high. But they sit back in their, their three, 5, two, uh, five three, 2 and they can press in the wide areas and they set traps there. And then they're immediately up and you've got James Scott, who's a really physical nine, who pins Connor Shocknessy. Connor Oby's caught quite high and then Dion Rankin gets in behind and they, they should have scored from it, but there was some poor decision-making. And I think we would have got better at it, actually, because in terms of left-channel defending, for me, so the way Pompi's set up when we're in the final third, it's a bit of a f- uh, three two five. So you have Will Norris and goal, you have a back three, right to left of Paul, Shocknessy, Ogilvy that's when everyone's fit. The two in front being Morell and Pack, And then the five being, let's say, Camera, Robertson, Bishop, Lane, Rafferty. And that's fine because Conor Obe is, for me, an exceptional left-sided channel defender. But what it means is when Jack Sparks comes in, you have to tweak it. So we haven't tweaked the structure. The structure is still the same. But you have Rafferty who comes round. So in the back three, right to left is Rafferty, Paul Shocknessy, and Shocknessy is a defending on his wrong side. So he's a right-footed player on the left, which is fine if he's in the middle. But if he's out wide, that's an issue because he's not defending on a strong foot, and also he's just not got quite. He's not got the skill set for to play as a left side left side channel defender. And for me, that's where we really get hurt. And I spoke about it when Conor came out in that. I'm a big fan of Jack Sparks because he's. Brilliant technician, really good crosser, really creative. But the detriment is the the defending transitions and balls up the left side. And I I put out a tongue into tw- a tongue in cheek tweet after uh, the Peterborough game, saying never to play Jack Sparks, Sarah get a left back again. And that was a joke. Um, but I do stand by my point in that we really suffer in in defensive transition when Jack Sparks is in, and that's not necessarily Jack's fault, but it's something to be aware of. And and for me, as soon as Conor O'Gara back he should be backing the team. And that doesn't mean drop Jack Sparks, they Jack Sparks the left wing, for example. But yeah, Connor for me, is, is really
0: important in defending transition. Pompey have one of the highest expected goals against differentials in, in this league. So we know they've only conceded eight. But according to scout, they conceded 14.98 expected goals in total, which leaves a 6.98 difference. That's a large difference there. And just by, purely from that point of view, you think that Pompey will concede a few goals eventually, whether it's from set pieces or from open play. Geoff, how concerning is that stat? Or is it even concerning at all? And where do you think the weak bit of Pompey's defending is that may have explained that little statistic there?
1: Yeah, I think two things. Jack's gone and talked brilliantly about the transitional defending already. I think, to add to that point, in terms of Jack Sparks, yeah, he's basically his whole career played at left wing back so he's going to have to get used to defending in transition as a left fullback and yeah we can you know we might have that lopsided thing going on where it's over oh, we'll Shocknessy, Paul fine but when Sparks is in the team that will sometimes switch to Shocknessy Paul, Rafferty and Shocknessy not being a left footed defender does contribute to yeah, contributes to that as well. But, you know, that's what squad building is for. You're going to have player injuries. You're going to have suspensions. And Jack Sparks is an amazing option. You know, he's created the most chances from open play for us and the best quality of chances from open players for us as well this season. So, yeah, he is overall a real positive to this team. But the other thing is set pieces. we've conceded one goal from a set piece and our set piece expected goals against is... Just over four, so 4.05. And at some point, that will regress to the mean. Norris has been fantastic fantastic goal. I think we mentioned in the last podcast where he is overperforming in terms of expected goal on target and goals prevented and those metrics. However, you know, the law of averages and will suggest that things will regress to the mean. He is, a, he is an excellent keeper. He, over, he overperformed last season for Peterborough, but there will be, you know, That will stop at some point, you know, maybe not to the extent where he starts underperforming, but that overperformance level will drop. I, you know, I probably will expect him to overperform over the course of the season, but not at the levels we currently are. In terms of open play XG as well, we've conceded six, and our conceded XG is 8.39. So, again, we are overperforming. The chap who was on commentary for the Wickham game. On the Wickham I follow, I have no idea who he was. Apologies there. But he essentially said this without saying the words expected goals or "regress to the mean, and he's bang on. If you, you know look at the I test, we do concede chances. Port Vale had a couple of really close chances, one that hit the post, a couple of decent saves from Norris, and we will concede, but if we can score more than them, then great. But we yeah do need to tighten up set pieces. I don't know how we do that. I'm not a set piece expert. I'm not a set piece coach or anything like that. But we do need to tighten up there, and in transition, if we can get Jack Sparks up to, you know, he's improved a lot already under under our coaching staff. And we can get to, get him to improve even more than that would be great. And once Ogilvy's back in the team, I'm sure we'll kind of see that, you know, our transitional defending improve.
0: Yeah, I just looked up Will Norris's stats actually, and his prevented goals, which equates to calls on target against them and how much he saves over it he's only positive 0.65 now from that large from that larger number at the first month so it's now it's not as if the keeper's bathing the team out defensively it is quite simply Pompey conceding those chances and that is a big worry I think defensively they might just need to be a bit more responsible in terms of not not allowing for the wide areas just to, just to be open like they are not over committing to one side, leaving all that space for the switch like it was against Barnsley for their first goal in in that 3-2 win. A lot needs to be ironed out and I think there are weaknesses in this side and I think it's good to highlight them because it's very easy to get carried away with how they're playing at the moment, but I hope we did it in a reasonable manner because, hey, we're still top of the league and playing incredibly well and we don't want to discount it, but we can't. We, we have to look at the bigger picture here and see if it's actually sustainable or not. I don't have like a huge point to end
2: on here, but I think it's really important. Like, sure, I don't think it would been negative as such. I think we just highlighted what we we can improve on, and I think in terms of weaknesses, every ugh, I say every weakness, most weaknesses have a a positive. So, for example, we build up really patiently, really bravely. Might concede a couple of goals a season, but on the upside. You have way more control. You dominate the ball. You provide better quality of chances. So, you know, one man's trash is another man's uh, build-up
0: goal. I couldn't have put it better myself. One of the final points I've got to bring up is that we've had Norwich Youth product Josh Martin on trial at the club for the past few weeks. I think Andrew Moon mentioned that on Twitter a few weeks ago, saying he's been on trial for a fair bit. He's had previous loan spells at Doncaster, Barnsley and MK Don's. Fairly promising left winger and I'm a bit surprised that another team hasn't picked him up and the fact that really that's you could argue that's a position of need because of Anthony Scully's injury we're not sure how well he's going to bounce back from that we could play Sparks there but then you haven't got another person to play at left back behind Ogilvy if you do that Kamara's done incredibly well he's effectively the first choice. can you give us a bit more info on Josh Martin, what sort of player he is, and if it's worth pursuing signing signing into a deal or not?
1: Yeah, I think that need for a left winger is, you know, it's it's massive. We started yesterday with Kamara on the left wing, and at some point, Gavin White came on, played there, and then Sadie went there, and then Sadie went off and Yengi played there. And then we so moved Terry people.
0: Devlin to the wing as well in that game.
1: Yeah, we had Terry Devlin on the right wing. There was a lot of shifting around in that kind of three behind Bishop. But the point is that we need a kind of stable slot there because you'd argue all those other players, their best position isn't left wing. In fact, it is elsewhere. But Josh Martin, 22 years old, comes to transfer marks, is right-footed left winger, so likes to cut in, um, can also play in those other two kind of behind the forward positions in that 43-1, so provides decent cover. Didn't manage to get a chance to look at kind of really in-depth metrics, but I went to who scored and found a couple of interesting things. So 0.2 goals per 90, this is in his season for Doncaster, twenty-one twenty-two, and that put him 16th out of 38 for wingers that season. 0.2 assists per 90 in that season as well and that puts him sixth and then the best kind of I guess statistics that I could find was 1.2 key passes per 90 which put second place equal second which you know as we've chatted about earlier we expected at the start of the season for potentially our wingers to be a bit more active in terms of goal scoring and they have underperformed their xg and you know things will balance out and get to the mean and you know, I expect our wingers to start scoring a bit more, maybe over the course of the next few games. But he is a creative player who can also score, and that is exactly the type of player that we are after here. You know, well balanced, well balanced footballers who you know can score goals, can contribute in build up, can assist. So, from a yeah very kind of brief overview, it seems to be a good thing that he's on trial here. And you know, if he's right, then you know, and Messino rates him then. I rate him as well.
0: He fits under that mould of a younger player for points-proof again, doesn't he? Because he he had that time and has been in the league quite a while, so he's got the experience behind him, but also being released by Norwich probably wasn't a bit of a massive dent to his confidence. Um, have you got more to add on Josh Martin, Jack, and whether Pompey should sign him or not?
2: I don't know loads about Josh, to honest, but I like what I've heard so far. I think he's, he's kind of struggled to really cement a, a pro career. Obviously, he's only got like 22, but I think that's maybe why some clubs are a bit tenuous. Or ten- no, tentative, rather. Not tenuous, tentative. And I think Messino said maybe we won't be signing him, but I wouldn't be adverse to it at all. Hopefully, Massinho is uh, doing the old Danny Cowley, uh, Danny Cowley lying trait, which is always good fun. And yeah, he's been been down there all summer. With, his, his girlfriend lives down there. He's been, been in Pompeo all, all summer long. So let's just keep him there. Let's offer him a two-year deal. He'd love that. He'd be all over that, Josh. Yeah, I'd love us to sign him up. I think he's a really promising young player. And worst case scenario, we lose basically nothing but wages. And best case scenario, he does really well and we might get some money out of it.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it's the sort of player that Pompey should be offered for the left wing spot. And I think that's the only real position of need left. I think we've got depth in all the other areas, especially at fullback. You could argue another ball playing centre-half, but then they're going to be like the fourth or fifth choice. So are they actually going to play a lot I think that's that left wing spot and maybe somebody who could play left and white ring. I think that might be the one position in January where Pompey might try and bolster a little bit. And it, it might help that they're still possibly trying to sell Denver here and they might be able to loan him out on his last six months of his contract and then use a bit of that money to bring in enough left winger perhaps. So we've gone through Josh Martin as a player and analysed a, a potential transfer in January which will help us. So now we're going to look at player of the month and I think for me it's a pretty obvious one. I'm going to give it to Colby Bishop. Six goals since the start of September leading all the way in he's been excellent the fact that he's basically been manhandled pretty much in every single game with a defender always having two, two hands on him he's able to bring other players into play he's able to flick the ball on always be in the right position in the penalty area He's not overplaying his stats either. He's getting in those positions and taking those chances. He looks like one of the best strikers in the league, or the best, you could even argue, to go that far, and is integral to the side getting promoted. So I think my player of the month for Colby Bishop, do either of you disagree or who are we going to disagree just for the sake of it?
1: I don't disagree, but I like to put another shout out there, and that would be Regan Paul, September. Three goals, three bookings. Player off my own heart, but joking aside, he, yeah, you, we've spoken about how much we kind of missed his impact in terms of build up uh, the weekend against Port Vale, and quite honestly, he's a joy to watch. You know his progressive passing, all those kind of metrics that we like to talk about here. He is, he is class, and yeah, he was a miss on Saturday, and I think that shows what an impact he's had, Bishop is the natural first choice but I think Paul definitely deserves some recognition
2: so I I, I love a hipster shout for example my favourite coaches in the football in world football are Henrik Rydstrom at Malmo Fernando Denis at Fluminenge and Rolani Mc, Mcquena at Maloney Sundowns so I love a hipster shout and I wasn't going to pick you know a, a, a Paul or a Bishop not because they've been not because they've not been spectacular which they have but I think you know Let's put one out for the little guy. And I've got three contenders, and one of them is Paddy Lane. He's my third place. My second place is Joe Morel, who I think has been so yeah improved in all aspects of the game. I think he's taken on responsibility of uh, the captaincy really well, and yeah, really progressed, which is really good to see, because it, you know, it bucks a trend of you know the stereotype around Morel, which is a sideways passer, which is not true at all. But my number one is Connor Shocknessy. And not only because he's been absolutely fabulous in basically all aspects of the game but when he came in there wasn't much bars around him which you know I'm not gonna say that's wrong I wasn't overly um, thrilled it was fine as a squad player that's what I said when he came in but he just proves people wrong every single game I think he's utterly imperious and that partnership with with Regan and with uh, Marlon and Joe and, and Will and, and everyone else is just it's so important and to come in and do what what Conor has done I think he should be so proud of himself and Long may it continue because absolute bargain for free. I, I wouldn't suspect he's on huge, huge wages either. And yeah, I think connor has been fantastic.
0: The shockness monster lives on for another month. Shock, or shock Messi, as we described in the, in the last episode, to title down. Yeah, he's proved a lot of people wrong. He's proven me wrong as a as I thought he was going to be a backup player, but he's starting and formed that formidable partnership. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed he can keep it going for the future. And same with all the players in this squad because they've been fantastic this month and uh, long may it continue fingers crossed right i think that's everything for this episode of the peer forecast extra um thanks for being on the show joff it's been a pleasure
1: thanks again for having me uh it's great to see you guys at the weekend and yeah get another win under our belts yeah it's been great
0: and uh cheers jack for again appearing on the show and uh, don't forget about us when you're speaking to all those people in Liverpool will you
2: yeah i'll say you know Forget me. I've got a guy called Joth Taylor and a guy called Freddie Webb. They're the big dogs. But no, thanks for having me, mate. I love love the extra. It's great, um, and it gives me a uh, gives me an excuse to nerd out. Like for example, I just put a picture in my Snapchat story of the uh, the podcast, um, and I've been called a dork by my girlfriend. So that's great. <laughs>
0: that, well, example, there we are. Great, she, see-
2: <laughs> great to see you at the weekend. Well, she just doesn't
0: get it, does she? Right, I think that's everything on this episode of the PO Forecast Extra. And uh, until next time, play at Pompey.